the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thank you for watching us live. Thanks for hanging out for our very first instant reaction show of the 2022 college football season. And look, this is also, yes, a Vanderbilt Hawaii pregame show. This is also live look-ins on the Florida A&M Rattlers giving the business to the North Carolina Tar Heels uh, in in some inclement weather there in Chapel Hill. But Lots to get to uh, today. We will be hitting on, before we get out of here, the starting quarterback announcements of Haynes King at Texas A&M, the starting quarterback announcement of two different players as QB1 at Michigan. Much more on that later, but we have to begin where all, uh, all of you came to this for the one thing that was hilarious. The college football season started with a wouldn't it be hilarious, and it was hilarious. The Nebraska Cornhuskers blew not one, but two double-digit leads. There were special teams errors. There were poor special teams decisions. And there were two fourth-quarter turnovers that allowed Northwestern to pick up a massive win in Ireland. Final score, 31-28. The Wildcats, as a double-digit underdog, go and get the win against the Cornhuskers. It leaves Scott Frost... 5-21 Five and twenty-one in one-score games at Nebraska. It leaves Scott Frost one and nine in its last his last ten games. Even though that point differential is minus two, so 
there there will be love for Northwestern. There will be praise for Northwestern. But we have to begin with the Nebraska side of things. Are we going to have an Irish Lane Kiffin situation? Will the Our Lingus Jet come back with Scott Frost on it? What's what do you tell a Nebraska fan right now? He's not getting fired. We that that's what you tell a Nebraska fan who is hoping that that's going to happen. <laughs> do you tell him that on our hey on October first that buyout drops from fifteen million to seven point five million, and so if you look at the schedule and you think about the financials that maybe there is something, but it's not going to happen before October first. I mean, what do you tell a Nebraska fan who is hoping that you'll at least see some wins? This win total was set at seven and a half. We were talking like the best three win team in the country was going to be bowling. And after everything that you saw, how about that? Is Nebraska going to be a bowl team in 2022? Oh, see, here's here's the thing. If Nebraska was going to get to a bowl game, that was one of the games it kind of had to win. That was one of the games where you were relying on them to get a win, one of the six that they were going to need. So by losing that game, it hurts their ability to do so. But I'm on... I don't want to get into the situation we do too often early in the year where I know that like the reaction show is about overreacting. It is, I, especially I, in week zero. I don't want to overreact. Like that was a big 10 West game, just stupidity with more stupidity, more points than anybody expected. But then one team won, one team lost. It could have gone about a thousand different ways. So if you want to be an optimist, you could say, all right, rinse it, move on, whatever. If you want to be a realist, Nebraska throughout Scott Frost's tenure has made dumb decisions and dumb mistakes to cost itself football games. Scott Frost during his tenure at Nebraska has changed his coordinators. He has changed his coaching staff. He has changed his roster. This year he has changed his quarterback. He has brought in a new offensive coordinator. What is the one constant at Nebraska through the Scott Frost era with all the dumb decisions and dumb mistakes? Hmm. I, you said the name Scott Frost a lot. And you talked mm-hmm. about all the other changes. It sounds like it's Scott Frost. Yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of stuff to nitpick. The onside kick was galaxy braining it a little bit. Like I understand he was probably, you know, you're, you're feeling yourself a little bit at that point. Cause you just went up 11 points and you're like, we could take control of this game. But like, I feel like that's a move that you make when you're trying to take control of the game, not when you already have it. I, I thought they were just really overconfident because they successfully fielded two punts and caught a punt <laughs> and actually you know, kicked kicked a punt away and, and kicked it to the mainly the correct side. I look I, to answer Chip's question: Will they make a bowl? I had them at seven point five one, and I had this win accounting for about point eight five of that. So you chop that off, you're, you're really flirting with six, and that's assuming that you keep the power rating for this team the same, which. I'm not going to. Uh, I think this offense is no doubt improved. I, I think Mark Whipple's a good coordinator. I'm sure we'll talk about Scott Frost's comments here in just a little bit. Uh, but I, I really am concerned about this Nebraska defense. Eric Chenander has had a really good defense that has kind of kept these dudes in games for the last couple of years when the offense just absolutely screwed around. But I went back and listened to the summer school series that we did and Husker 24-7, what was the main concern? defensive tackle, interior defensive line depth. And look, I'm willing to admit I was wrong on Northwestern offense, but I don't think they're world beaters up front. 
I, I know Kurt does a good job there at our offensive line coach, which we should get this this, uh, this tweet oh, on the screen. Oh, yeah. You got it? Okay, cool. Uh, but still, like, no interior pass pressure, right? They were not blown off the ball, but they did not re- consistently at all reestablish the line of scrimmage defensively. I thought their backers knew uh, that and thus got sucked up in a lot of these run fakes. And it was just, hey, here's a run fake. We're going to pitch the ball out, out to the running back yet again. And, hey, Nebraska's tackling looks poor. Everybody's tackling looks poor when you have bad angles to the ball because you're out of position, probably because you're really worried about the run. They they threw so many passes under 10 yards in the air against Nebraska and Northwestern just feasted on them. They, they had, what, one bomb, I think, that on a busted coverage. Other than that, Helensky was just sort of bottled up by their own offense intentionally, I think. Just keep everything underneath. Nebraska didn't tackle well because they were out of position. They, they have... I think they might have real defensive problems, guys. Yeah, without a doubt. And there was a defense that was good last year, right? Yeah, it yeah. was. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, I don't. Th- it wasn't great against the run, but it was better against the pass than it looked today. I mean, Ryan Helinski and Northwestern were throwing the ball all over the field on Nebraska into wide open spaces, which is right. not something you tend to see from Northwestern. So do you think that the whole Porter one, two combo at running back and that ground game is going to be able to be successful for Northwestern? I mean, I'm not trying to advance all the way to like the Northwestern praise here, but is that a Nebraska issue alone? Or is that something where you're like, Hey, shocker, that offensive line. I mean, we, we put a lot on Skaronsky. But is the offensive line a plus-value offensive line? And does that one-two combination at running back suggest that Northwestern is going to do a very Northwestern thing and you know play solid defense, not make mistakes, but also be able to run the ball to move the chain and bleed clock? It depends on who you play. No. Sorry, Tom. No, you're, no, you're, no. you're the Big Ten guy. I, I was just saying, I'm not ready to make that statement just yet because this is a Northwestern offensive line that finished last year ranked 121st nationally in adjusted line yards, and it's got a lot of experience, and it looks better. It looked really good today. I'm not trying to take anything away from it, but this is also, like Bud was saying, a Nebraska defensive front that was a concern for Nebraska fans going into the season, and they had every right to be concerned after what I saw today. But I do think having Cam Porter back with Hull is a good one-two combo because that is what Northwestern's bread and butter is always going to be. It's going to want to lean on its run game, but at the same time, about 75% of Northwestern's rushing yards came today after contact was made. So it's not like the offensive line was completely blowing Nebraska off the ball all day long. The running backs were getting hit, breaking tackles, and picking up yards afterwards. They they definitely had some close calls where they, where they were hitting the backfield hard, and mm-hmm. then like Hall managed to get out of it. A lot of that contact, though, was was sort of soft contact. It, it, it was sort of Greg Maddox style. Yeah, they allowed some contact there, but it, it's it's a weak dribbler in second base. I, I I was I was just concerned about Nebraska's defense. Um, you know, it, the offense. I didn't I didn't mind that much. I actually, if we can go to Scott Frost's comments here, I understood the comments that he made. I, I actually don't have a huge problem, you know, with those comments. But I, I I'm. I'm concerned about this defense, just personnel-wise. I don't know if they have the guys to make a bowl now. So is that the creativity comment? Is that what you're going for? So Scott Frost said after yeah. the game that Northwestern's, uh, he credited Northwestern's coaching staff for the way that they schemed against Nebraska. Quote, I think we're going to learn as an offensive staff, you have to be a little creative in this league. Getting that from Jimmy Watkins, the uh Omaha World Herald sports reporter who I believe was on site in Dublin. Is that what you were going for? 
You got to be creative yeah. in this league, which to me seems like you're throwing Mark Whipple under the bus after Pat Narduzzi has spent all summer throwing Mark Whipple under the bus. And now, I mean, if you're Mark Whipple, man, just no win situation right here. I think that honestly, Scott Frost is saying that, and I'm not trying to just defend Scott Frost just to do it. Like I, I don't, I don't know him very well, but I, I think he views himself as part of the offensive staff, given that he is still you know designing the run game, and thus I think he's basically lumping him in him with that criticism. But obviously, if you're an outsider, it does come off as Scott Frost throws Mark Whipple under the bus just after you. That much. was your high profile hire, like right. You went and poached him. You you could see though that that Northwestern did adjust to some of the things that Nebraska was doing, and I think because it is a new offense for Nebraska, they did not have enough reps in that system to be confident in their counters. And you could tell Casey Thompson took a little bit longer to get rid of the ball. He didn't read it out quite as well in in that second half. He forced a couple of those seam balls over and over again. Like he honestly had two more that could have been picked. Uh, the, Northwestern deserves the credit here for winning this game. I think Nebraska, like my main concerns, offense, I think they'll be okay going forward. Defensively, I I don't know, man. You, you touched on something that, to me, if I'm a Nebraska fan, is a huge concern. Not so much what Frost said, but going back to last year, remember what happened after Nebraska lost to Illinois? What Frost said? We weren't expecting them to come out in an odd man front. Yeah. And then when they did, Nebraska had absolutely no damn idea what to do, apparently, for the next three hours. Because once they saw it, they're like, we didn't prepare for it. We have no idea how to play against it. Today, uh, we needed to run the ball more. They didn't make any adjustments in the second half. You said it. Northwestern went into the locker room at halftime and adjusted. Nebraska didn't change anything. They were running the same plays in the second half, and Northwestern had adjusted for it, which was leading to pressure on Thompson and interceptions over the middle where he had been feasting in the first half. So once again, they have an entire offseason to prepare for a game. They get caught off guard, and they cannot make an adjustment in the second half or at any point in the game going up against another team that can make an adjustment. And it's just it's another instance where I watched Scott Frost get outcoached, and I've seen that many times since he's been at Nebraska in the Big Ten, and it's I don't know if it's going to be ending at any point soon. There's no reason to believe anything is going to change because well, I- with West – Northwestern is a team. Pat Fitzgerald's entire philosophy is, and I made the joke tweet. I said, Pat Fitzgerald's play sheet wears a chastity belt, but he's super ultra conservative because he just knows that as long as he keeps the game close at the end of the game, he's coached his team well enough to know that they're not going to make the mistake and they could capitalize on the other team's mistake. And you know what team's going to be making a mistake late in the game? Nebraska. They did. They made multiple mistakes. Northwestern capitalized on them and won the game. So, Tom, I actually disagree that it won't. It may not come to an end soon. I'm pretty sure it will come to an end soon. It, like soon, if you count this year, like soon as the next <laughs> week, probably not. The onside kick, it did feel to me uh, like uh, trying to prove a point. They all got on Scott Frost last year. They being the media, and the, the media may not be wrong about how you need to have a special teams coach, you need to have a special teams coordinator. Well, they went out and got one, and it's like you know what. We're going to show off just how special teamsy we are now. We're, we're catching punts. We're we're kicking. You know, we're actually kicking punts. We're doing okay, even though, gosh, that, that punter for, for Northwestern was just awesome today. Uh, it didn't almost feel like, hey, we're going to we're going to break this Akers, out and show by y'all. The way. I, I don't know yeah. if you heard that, but uh, his dad was in the NFL. Did you guys know that? They might <laughs> have mentioned that from time to time. <laughs> was his dad Morton Anderson? Not that one. Oh, okay. The other the other punter that you know. But yeah, sorry, bud. To your point, that it was like it was it was. A little chesty, right? Like you, you were trying to say, like we, 
we have invested in our special teams, not only in the coaching, but we believe that our special teams are going to be elite. Yeah, exactly. Um, he's got football he's brain. He's got football guy brain. He just gets too chesty at times. It's like, go think back to the comments about puking. Like our offensive line is puking 15 times in practice. And now it's like, yeah, look at us. We're going to run this onside kick. He's gets, he gets too hyped up and caught into the emotions of a football game. So to the, uh, the tweet that was referenced earlier, Kurt Anderson, the offensive line coach for Northwestern on Twitter and to think we only puked four times all camp puke emoji. And by the way, that was sent just before 2 a.m. Dublin time. If you want to know whether the coaching staff was <laughs> enjoying the win, it was at 8.31 Eastern time, which is just around 2 a.m. Dublin I wonder, time. I wonder how many of those times they puked were just before the tweet was sent. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, all right, so, so I'm not saying Kurt Anderson was drinking when he sent that, but if you know, if you've seen Kurt Anderson, he looks like a guy who could, who could, in theory, put down a pint or six uh, <laughs> if, if he needed to. And I, if I'm on that coaching staff, I damn sure am. Speaking of, can we can we discuss about the free beer situation? Because that I, sounded oh, incredible. Yeah. I refuse um, to believe Ireland ran out of beer. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Not that it ran out, but just the idea that an internet outage in this stadium which has hosted like major European competitions led to everything is free at the concession stands. Mm -hmm. So they were giving out free beer, yeah. but the max that you could get was two pints at once. And it created a situation reportedly where you'd get to the front of the line, you'd get your two free pints, and then you'd walk to the back of the line, drink your two pints while you were waiting to get back to the front of the line. And then, just go through an endless loop of free beer. It's what led to that long cup train that went all the way down from the concourse almost to the field. And I thought, honestly, like before the onside kick, when Nebraska had finally kind of regained control of the game and we had seen from those pep rally photos how many Nebraska fans had gone, I was thinking Nebraska fans, free beer, the momentum swinging in their direction, it's like this is this is going to be like a, a legitimate home field advantage for the Cornhuskers right here, and then they did the onside kick, and it was never the same again. And honestly, you could have been just as drunk without drinking beer and sitting in your seat watching that game. You would have felt the same way. <laughs> um, anything else on this game before uh, before before we move on to some of the other action uh, across the country? Uh, that's, that's what the Ten West is going to be on here. Just be prepared for it. I don't think there's going to be as many points scored in Big Ten West games as there were today, but every single week, if it's two Big Ten West teams, the either team is capable of winning it, either team is capable of losing it, and I'm proposing right now a Big Ten West underdog principle for the season on the lock spot. Any Big Ten West dog in a matchup, we're taking them. Did any of us take Northwestern? Or did, did anybody, like you guys had them on the sprinkles, did anybody actually take Nebraska? Yeah, Danny. Uh, Danny did. Danny yeah. took it. Okay. That was a chip versus Danny. And he's Lock not here. No, yeah, that's yeah. right. He won't show his face. He can't see. He's got two black eyes from those lock fights he lost. Yeah. Just, I mean, you know, again, it, it was not an overly successful or profitable year for me on the locks pod, but the one place where I did make money was going head to head with Danny. So that, that <laughs> continues. Can we, like, just, just to demonstrate how we, even though 
we're kind of skeptical on Nebraska making a bowl now. And that's entirely for me because of the defense for the most part and the coaching. This game could have gone very differently uh, had that fumble play been called yes. correctly. Yes. If, uh, if Northwestern loses the ability to threaten Nebraska with the run and all they're doing is just dropping back and passing, I'm not here contending that Nebraska would have shut down the Wildcats' passing attack, but game script does matter quite a bit. It just it does, especially in college. I think because like get, it, stuff goes goes sideways. Look at how Charlotte went today, right? It just they absolutely ran bad. Quarterback gets hurt, and all of a sudden, like I think if if you line those teams up again, no, nobody's going to win by forty you know, very often. That was a bad call. I think I was really surprised that they that they upheld that, given that I thought you could see the knee was down. Uh, and I, I thought they got it right. You thought it was a fumble. His knee looked like it was on his teammate's foot, not the ground. Oh, interesting. Okay. Hmm. And that was the thing, well, too, because like Heward and Benetti, when they were doing or Pereira and Heward were like, oh, that's clear. And I'm just sitting there I'm like, I don't see any angle where that's clear. But no, I thought it looked like his knee was on his foot. And I thought that once the, the call on the field was had to stand just because I didn't see a clear angle that showed when the ball was out, when what was down or what. Gotcha. Okay. I mean, it was a three-point game. Like there was like multi, and like I mentioned, two fourth-quarter interceptions. Mm-hmm. Like Nebraska played well enough to win this game, but just because of the history of Nebraska under Scott Frost, they just played tight. I mean, the offense whole second half was bad. Like compared to the way that Casey Thompson and the way that the offense was rolling in the first half, it they kind of turtled up. Got a little tight, man. Yeah, also, it was unimpressive. Nebraska did catch a break on that. The very first BS pass interference call of the season. Oh, man. What was, yeah. Thank goodness, Michael. Like I, I, Everyone just went to Michael Felder's Twitter account. It's like, come on, where is it? Let me hear it. Let me let, let me see what Felder's got to say about this. Because I'm angry. And I know that he's going to be angry. No, nah, it was call. a huge, huge break. Bad call. 100% agree on that. Uh, Northwestern, is Northwestern a bowl team? I'm not ready to go that far, no. And is that almost like the Big Ten West theory? Like, now we think that... I, I think the Big Ten West champion is going to be 6-3 and three at best in the conference. And Ohio State's going to win 52-14? to 14. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. It's probably the way this goes. Speaking of the Big Ten West, if anybody can win the Big Ten West, that means it might be Illinois. Tom, we saw, like, the very first drive, everything initially was looking awesome. Tommy DeVito, a.k.a. Swaggy D. We were going to be a little bit more versatile. It was starting to happen. Then, you know, things slowed down just a little bit. But eventually, you know, Illinois able to cruise to a 38-6 to win. I loved uh, Chase Brown. It had like 115 yards rushing in the first half. I mean, it was just, it was very clear that we were going to let our boy get back to cooking. It is, as we've talked about here, a very deep and capable running back room, but um, he was fantastic. He had a a couple good plays from Bryant. Um, In general, where are we at with the fighting Illini now for the second straight season winning in week zero? Nebraska, 0-2 in week zero last two years. Illinois, 2-0 in week zero last two years. Uh, what do we think about the win over the Cowboys? Uh, as an Illini fan, I am never going to take a 32-point win for granted because I don't have a lot of 32-point wins in my bag to enjoy and cherish. So was thrilled with it. Like you said, they scored within two, the first 
Second play of the game, they scored 41 seconds, bang, bang, right down the field, touchdown. Um, but the thing is, Wyoming is bad. Like, mm-hmm. that is not a good football team. Andrew Peasley was 5 of 20 for 30 yards. The Illinois defense deserves some credit for that. But it's just, as I was watching that team throughout the entire game, I some I don't know if that's a complete FBS too deep, honestly. Just the talent level of player I saw on that team. So it's hard for me to judge what the Illini did because they weren't that crisp. They weren't that great. But... They do have a road game to start open the Big Ten season on Friday night at Indiana. So the thought process going in was I wasn't sure how much they were going to be trying to put on tape, how exotic they were going to make the offense look, what kind of wrinkles they were going to show. And they really didn't show any wrinkles. Like, honestly, the offense did not look that different from what we saw last year. There was more RPOs, but the tempo that you heard about wasn't really there and I feel like they're saving that probably for next week against Indiana. They just didn't want to put it even on tape. So it's, I think that was mostly a vanilla game plan. So from that perspective, winning 38 to six without really doing anything special is awesome. But yeah, I, I really think Wyoming is bad. So I, I have a couple questions for Tom because he, he knows more about this team than I do. But like I, I was impressed by some of the, backfield style playmakers Williams is not really a, a true receiver yet but he's mm-hmm. he's super explosive I think it, those of us who saw him in high school when he played quarterback obviously I mean like human joystick type stuff there Are, do you worry about like, outside receiver or or do you think you think Brian and, and Hightower are are good enough I think I was happy with Hightower today because he did seem to be like the third down safety valve and he was picking up first downs. And I think that is something that the offense severely lacked last year. Uh, but yeah, I there was one play on an it was a, they, they caught Wyoming in cover two. DeVito hit Bryant down the sideline just between the corner and safety, you know, the classic, the classic void. And he timed it and he read it well. And it was a great throw. It was the real, it was the best passing play they had. That was something you didn't see a lot. Like in the last couple of years, like Brandon Peters was not terrible, but Brandon Peters a lot of times would miss that. Like those were plays that unless it was his first read, he didn't see it. Or you know, and like DeVito, you could see it, figured that out pre-snap. Like he recognized exactly what he was looking at and said, all right, well, this is exactly what I'm doing. Brandon Peters didn't do a lot of that. So that gives me some hope. But I do think that they are lacking the alpha guy on the outside to this point. Although I do know the coaching staff is high on Pat Bryant who finished with three catches for 44 yards. He had a touchdown. I think they like high tower. And I think, you know, maybe we'll, I, I think next week is probably going to be a much better read for what this Illinois offense is. I don't think they showed a whole lot today. Can I ask a couple more? Talk about Illinois for the next hour. Well, we, we only had what nine games today yeah. that, that are even well, uh, complete. Yeah. So, like, uh, do you feel like these outside receivers are good blocking receivers? Because if not, yes. I'm really concerned about Wyoming's ability to set the edge. And like, dude, oh, they are they're good blocking receivers. That was the one thing. It's like when, when Illinois, every receiver on the team can block. It's kind of just the way this the offense worked last year. You had to. It's like I wish they wouldn't have to block as often. Got it. Okay. Um, how pissed do you think Burt was at halftime when Illinois was 0-5 in power wrestling situations? Because <laughs> like he was this mad. game should have been way over at half. Like I yeah, I bet the been. under under first half, and I, I I thought I was like very lucky. Like there's no way Wyoming should be getting stops here. Illinois also missed two field goals. Uh, at 0-5, like 
does this offensive line have a chance to be as good as last year's? Do you think it, it can be better? What because that, that that's usually not something his teams do. I don't think this year's offensive line could be better than last year's. Last year's was old and like experienced, and you know, like it, Doug Kramer went out. It was in NFL. He's in the NFL. He's hurt right now, but he got drafted. Uh, Vidarian Lowe got drafted. Like there were two NFL players on that line who were drafted last year. This is a younger offensive line. I, Alex Palczewski, I think, is going to finish the season with the most starts of any college football player in history. So he's got plenty of experience, but the rest of it's all new guys who haven't really played a ton or at least played together yet. So it could be a scenario where they kind of they, they're going to need some time to gel, even if that happens. I still think last year's offensive line was pretty damn good. So to expect this year's line to be that good, I think is probably a bit too much. But I will say as the game wore on, kind of what like we were talking about in the locks pod when I took the over for them at 27 and a half, the 50 pound difference per man between their offensive line and defensive line definitely started showing in the second half. And it seemed like that worked into the play calling that you mentioned too because though Illinois was no longer going tempo because you didn't need to go tempo because Wyoming was never going to get in the end zone. And so... Like, don't why worry about it? You know, let's mm-hmm. just keep this thing vanilla. But you gotta say it. they had one drive. Yeah. Like Illinois just for one drive blacked out and forgot how to play a bootleg. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, we can't all just chase the running back every time. It, yep. The quarterback was five of, of 20 for 30 yards at a pick. Mm-hmm. And oh, the defense is going to be fine. Like, I do worry about the depth up front if they stay, but if they stay healthy for the most part. The defense is going to be fine. It's the secondary is very good. It's very well coached. They don't make a lot of mistakes. You don't see blown coverages. The defensive line is solid. I wish I would like to have seen a little bit more penetration from them today. My one concern is I think the linebackers got caught in the wash a little too often. Yeah. Um, Tom cashed that lock win. We are celebrating some lock wins here on our instant reaction show. And if you want to participate in the Locks podcast, we actually have an opportunity. We've already told you about the auctions that are live right now to be able to get a private Zoom call with one of us uh, to discuss pretty much anything that you want. Well, there's also a live auction to be able to be a part of a future Cover 3 Podcast Locks episode. Head over to our Twitter page at Cover 3 Podcast on Twitter to be able to get the link to that eBay auction where you can with a don not a donation with your bid uh remember all proceeds go to the St. Jude's Research Children's Hospital all for a good cause and it can get you uh on a future locks episode if you want to be a guest picker then you can be a part of that also if you are watching on Facebook right now then listen do us a favor come on over to YouTube like come over to YouTube, smash that subscribe, smash that like. Uh, the chat is absolutely blowing up right now, so we appreciate everybody that's engaging with us live as we break down uh, the action that has happened thus far in week zero. So, uh, anything else on Illinois before we get out of here? No. Do you have another week of fading Wyoming, or do you think the numbers? Oh, gonna I think up? I think we're going to fade Wyoming for a while. Yeah, I, I am curious as to how they – like, I am watching uh, the New Mexico State-Nevada game. They they might be better than Nevada is, but I'm not really sure about that. Uh, even though Illinois is like a bottom half of the Big Ten type team, that's still a lot better roster than what you're going to see at a lot of these Mountain West Conference teams. So it, 
who, do, who does Wyoming have left in their non-conference schedule? I know this is great podcasting here to, to be live researching on air and talking about a Mountain West team that's, that we all think is not very good. Oh, they play Tulsa. All right, yeah. So I already bet Tulsa minus three at them next week and minus two and a half as well. I, they might get like Northern Colorado. Spread, when that spread comes out, that's going to be like we might have Tulsa laying a touchdown in like Illinois could have scored fifty today if they if they didn't screw around so much. Mm-hmm. Yep. Also, I will well, say there was one person I tweeted something about Illinois and they were like, "Who cares? It's against Wyoming." And I was just like, "Listen, this is Illinois football." If it's against anybody fielding a Division One team and they're looking this good, it is a step forward, bro. <laughs> uh, Tulsa, Air Force, BYU, there are problematic matchups ahead for Wyoming. So we'll see how long it takes for the number to catch up, but that certainly uh, does appear to be a hunch that this Cover 3 podcast had in terms of Wyoming, where they would be rated and the kind of point spreads that you would get. So right now... Even though it looks a little dicey for a little bit, North Carolina is currently holding a 21-point lead against Florida A&M. Florida State had absolutely no trouble with Duquesne. We will talk about those two games, plus a lot more from Week Zero and our starting quarterback news from Texas A&M and Michigan next. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So when UConn was up 14 to nothing... What was running through y'all's head? I'm going to win this Honestly, before for context, I need to be a, a good podcast host here. So UConn was playing at Utah State, a Utah State team that won the Mountain West Conference last year, a UConn team that, though national champions, according to the New York Times in 2020, was has been absolutely dreadful. Jim Mora. Uh, of many places throughout his extended career, but most recently in college football, UCLA and ESPN, he took over. We've had mixed reports. Some people are very positive on what Jim Mora can be for UConn. Some people are very negative on what is going to end up happening with this uh, Huskies experiment. So when the Huskies were up 14 to nothing on the road against the reigning Mountain West champions, what went through your head? I'm gonna well, I knew he was starting for them. <laughs> yeah. I, I, <laughs> I was like, how in the heck? Cause I wasn't actually watching it live. And I, I used the YouTube TV, like key plays feature to, to go back through. I was like, oh, so Utah State's just not going to play any any run defense today. Okay. This is, guys, at some point you may, may want to like take on a block or, or tackle. Uh, 
but there was some unknown as to what exactly UConn like we, we knew what they would do. We talked about it on the locks pod. They have four quarterbacks. They're all running quarterbacks before they're throwing mm-hmm. quarterbacks. That's just it's pretty clearly they were going to run the QB and do things off running the QB. But there's still an element of exactly how are they going to try to do it. There's different kind of quarterback runs you can do. And I think it took Utah State a little bit to figure that out. Also, Utah State is one of those teams that most of us, I think, would agree was not as good as their actual record was last year. They got a lot of, of big-time breaks in games. Um, so I thought maybe maybe the regression is coming for them immediately and much harder, but then I thought, wait a second, like UConn is still UConn. They might be a little bit more athletic than they were last year because of how hard uh, Jim Mora attacked the portal. But on the other hand, it's also almost all new players that they're more athletic, and how the hell are they going to gel on time? So I... I figured Utah State would not blow the game at home to UConn, but it that was wild. I will say this is my takeaways are this. I I think yeah, Utah State was the better team, and I, part of me thinks Utah State kind of just came out thinking it was going to roll and yes. got smacked in the face. And yeah, then, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but Nate Carter, UConn's running back, looked legitimately good. 190 yards on 20 carries and didn't look like fluky stuff. It looked legitimately good. I will also say UConn's program over the last few years has been very bad. And as a result, when I watched UConn in the last few years, it looked lifeless on the field. It did not. There was not a lot of care as far as I could tell. Nothing else. The team I saw today was playing hard. It might not have been winning the play, but it was playing hard. I think that's a pretty big improvement from what I've seen the last few years. And I will also say, for a program that is so used to losing and being bad, they jumped out to a 14 to nothing lead, then watched Utah State score 24 points in the second quarter, take a 24-14 lead into halftime. Every UConn team from the last four or five years would have said, screw it. They would have quit. They would not have come out in the second half. They didn't come back and win the game, but they they put Utah State back in check for the rest of the game. Utah State only scored another touchdown. They scored six points. They kept fighting in the second half, and I expected them to quit. After Utah State came back and took the lead, I was like, all right, I bet Utah State in the second half <laughs> thinking UConn was going to lay down. It didn't. So I don't think UConn's going to be winning four, five, six games, but I think they could get to two or three, and I think they're going to be a hell of a lot more competent than they've been the last few years. It was 24 to 20 with 10 minutes left in the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was it was right there. And also, uh, UConn being able to move the ball on the ground, yes, a lot of it does come from the quarterback run game, but that's, that's that's not great when we look at Utah State's uh, upcoming week one game against the Alabama Crimson Tide, who I imagine will not even need to really flex whatever Bryce Young wants to do through the air because they might be able to put in that Cincinnati plan and just run the ball right at them and just be able to get in and out of there, keep this thing clean. Give me uh, three hours and four minutes for the Alabama-Utah State yeah. Total runtime of that week one game in Tuscaloosa. Uh, the students who Nick Saban always gets mad at for leaving the stadium too early, they won't even have time because uh, the game's going to be over so fast. I I don't hate the, you know, the idea that regression might be coming for Utah State. I just don't have a good feel for the rest of the Mountain West to be able to know for sure that even a regressed 
Utah State is going to find itself falling behind more than two, maybe three other teams in that conference. But definitely something to watch as we uh, as we continue to move forward with the Aggies. Uh, quick shout out to Blake Rogers. He says, bro, they aren't even reading the chat. Excellent. Excellent shout out. I, Chip, I, I feel <laughs> like that's a really good point, though, on the Mountain West, because we do think there's a pretty serious floor to this conference this year. Right. I mean, UNLV looked good today for the most part. Now, they kind of just defense was terrible in the second half, but whatever. Like, that's a lot of backups they're trying to play. And if you're a backup at UNLV, you're not that good. But Nevada, right? New Mexico, Hawaii, UNLV, Wyoming. There's almost no chance that Utah State is worse than those. So they're at the absolute worst case scenario. And this is Fresno State passes them, Boise passes them, like, you know, San Diego State. San San Jose, maybe. Like, I could see Air Force is for sure, I think, better. But. And there, there's no way they finish any worse than like seventh or eighth. They they are still doing an eight game conference schedule. I do not see them going sub 500 in conference play. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So as we start to take a look elsewhere around the country, uh, currently as we are um, sitting here recording, we've got North Carolina still on with a 21 point lead. Oh yeah, let's go Florida State. Talk about the Knowles. Um, but. What do we think? Uh, so, 406 rushing yards. You had a uh, like a 90 minute weather delay in this one. Uh, it was still raining pretty hard when they came out. Uh, Johnny Wilson, I thought it looked like an ankle, but like they didn't say on the broadcast. One of their transfer receivers got kind of dinged on the first uh, first series, and after that, I think Norvell was like, or one of the first series rather. I think Norvell was like, yeah, we're just gonna run this thing, get out of here. Uh, if you bet it early, obviously you covered. If you bet it real late, you did not. Uh, they had three rushers go for 100-plus yards in this one, so that was encouraging. Um, I thought that they, they came off the ball well and, and did get some movement, which is good. This team is certainly deeper. In prior years, they would not have continued to score when they put the twos and threes in. Uh, it's a deeper team. I think the upside with this team is somewhat limited just due to some of the injuries that they've already suffered, but they, they played pretty hard. Your, your, your transfer defensive end, Jared Verse, I thought had some nice moments. Uh, but uh, the linebacker, Tatum Bethune, they got from UCF, uh, really showed out. I thought he, he had a nice game. And like that's not a good FCS team. It, like Duquesne's a good team within their own league, but they're not a good FCS team overall. And you, you handled them. I think you, you had a 325-yard edge uh, in terms of yards at halftime. So uh, pretty good there. Yeah, I think like, it's Duquesne, but just when you think of some of the slow starts Florida State's had to the season in recent years, just cruising and killing somebody's just kind of refreshing. It's yeah. just it's kind of like a breath of fresh air and kind of a little bit of a let you let you know take a breath. Oh, no doubt about it. Weather delays were unfortunately like a top five highlight or low light. Also, also an annual rite of passage for Florida State football, so they got it out of the way right at the right at the start. Yeah, we're we're in one right now, by the way. In uh, in, in State Nevada, yeah, man, New Mexico State. Like this is going perfectly to script. They Jerry Kill is just doing his Jerry Kill thing. Nevada has fifty-two seconds of possession time. Jerry Kill already has ten minutes and thirty-nine seconds. This JUCO quarterback they got uh, Diego Pavia. He won the JUCO national title. He, he can run it just enough. I'm like this is good. Nevada is going to get tired. 
and then they got lightning strikes. So now, so now New Mexico or Nevada gets to go back and figure out a game plan for this kid who can run really well. And I'm sure this is going to just go terribly. It's going to kill us. Yeah. We will be fine. Okay. We, listen, this is, this is all good. You know, who's he doesn't like the best player on the field. You know, who's got experience at leading a team through adverse conditions to overcoming the types of hiccups that you're going to have. It's Jerry kill. It's not Ken Wilson. Come on. That's true. That's true. Believe in the, keep the faith. Um, I've always said this about Kane Wilson. He's not built for this. Uh, we have always I, said this. I'm, I'm I feel sorry. bad for Ken Wilson. Like, I know. That, that we, job is so hard, man. Like, we spent so much time telling everybody to fade your football team because we were trying to help our listeners out. But he, he as a that's former a man that loves that program, he, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> he spends so much time in Reno dedicating his time to trying to make the Wolfpack two words better. Um, goodness gracious. North Carolina, again, up currently 35-17 over Florida A&M. I will say that Drake May, who has four touchdowns so far out of those 35 points, looks pretty good. You know, busted a, a run, got that 6'5", 220-pound frame out there scooting a little bit. And, yeah, you, you can look elusive against the uh, the FCS team. We'll see how that goes eventually. But I thought that he has checked a lot of the boxes. What has not been uh, a passing grade, in my opinion, has been the defensive side of the ball, where we talked about the arrival of defensive coordinator Gene Chizik, the development and maturity of these uh, many blue chip prospects who have been signed through three straight top 15 classes for Mac Brown. And Florida A&M's kind of getting what it wants, and maybe North Carolina is also going through that spring game type mentality, but I will, uh, I will say that with 21 minutes left to go in this game. North Carolina is up 35 to 17, and I, I do not think they're safe at this point. If they turtle up and go totally conservative, I could see this getting a little bit sweaty. North Carolina will win. That's my prediction here at this point in the game. But uh, but yikes is uh, is probably my early take so far from the Tar Heels. Bo's just scored. Oh no! Yeah. Oh no. What was the game left? How? Uh, uh, it was, was a, an off off tackle run, but they've yeah. been throwing a lot of little screens and stuff. Trying trying to beat them up on the perimeter. Yeah, mm, gimmicky. It's all right. Clarkley will adjust. We'll be fine. <laughs> oh man. <We're- laughs> <laughs> what you're gonna, it, you're gonna call it a pop good offense next you're gonna hit him with the gus malzahn <laughs> no, no 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 you're not putt putt yeah, yeah you're, it's not gonna be a putt putt offense you got you gotta wait until it gets really gimmicky but before before i before i say that your entire offense is based on hitting it into the clown's mouth and having it fall out into the cup on the next level down below <laughs> that is an all-timer yeah um well, hey, listen, we'll have these three wins by the end of September. I'm, mm-hmm. This is this is just a, a nice little wake up call. Seven nothing Hawaii as uh, as they just as the chat is is currently giving us updates and Tom Fernelli and Bud Elliott as well. Um, Western Kentucky struggled a little bit with Austin P. UNLV as Bud called. They had forty five points at halftime. And they Juggernaut. Were, they were looking. In a week zero overreaction style, they they look pretty good. Um, Charlotte, oh, struggled. Can I say one thing on UNLV? Oh yeah, for sure. All right, so it's it's Ricky White, right? The the receiver. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. This is the kid who went off for, for Michigan State and then transferred to UNLV. I'm not totally sure why, but like we should be on alert that UNLV now has a kid who was doing some like torching defenses stuff in the Big Ten playing in the Mountain West in a year where the bottom half of the Mountain West is really pretty bad. He was just WTFO, guys, on several of these catches. Like, now I know Idaho State is not very athletic, but I'm not really sure that the rest of the bottom of the Mountain West can cover this guy. And you don't have to force feed him against Idaho State, but if I'm UNLV, he's getting like either targeted or touching the ball on at least 20% of my plays. Like high school like, style. It, You're the best yes. player on the field. The, the Randy ratio. Remember the Randy yeah. ratio? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That dude eight, looked different. Eight catches, 182 yards, two touchdowns. <laughs> Almost all of the first half, I think. Yeah. yeah. DFS. Yeah. going to be a DFS all-star. Yes, <laughs> if you're playing college football DFS again, that is Ricky White, the UNLV wide receiver. You want to make him a mainstay of your lineups when they play Spend Wyoming, up. make him your captain. <laughs> um, FAU 43 to 13 against Charlotte. Charlotte. I, I put a lot of that on Charlotte uh, though. You know, FAU kind of got things cooking for sure. What do you think? I thought it I was, watched most of this. Sorry, yeah, you did? No, you, you go first. Yeah. Then you go first. All right. So Charlotte comes out. Uh, they score on a bomb on an offsides. Right, uh, where the dude for Charlotte kind of you know, not nice catch and run, and then FAU comes out, they go like 35 yard pass, wide open touchdown pass, overthrown 50 yard touchdown run. And like, oh, that's uh, seems like Charlotte's defense is not very athletic here. FAU did sort of the patented, like, let's shoot ourselves in the foot a little bit with penalty stuff, screwed around for a little bit, and then they continued to match the gas. Then Chris Reynolds for Charlotte, and Charlotte was moving the ball on on FAU somewhat. They just weren't really finishing drives. Chris Reynolds gets hurt. He misses probably the last 10 minutes of the the first First half. half. So James James Foster comes in. He's not very good yet. And like maybe I'll positive jinx him because I said Helensky wasn't very good, and he he starts out like a million for a million uh, today. Foster, the offense really just crumbled. I thought the defense started taking some chances because they realized Foster was in the game. And then right before the half, he throws a ridiculous pick six. Yeah. Uh, Somehow this game still went under, I guess. I'm trying to do a better job of actually looking at the people Mm -hmm. I'm talking to, even though I I do listen. Uh, So I haven't seen the final score, but that was problematic. So it was 56. I missed out on my, uh, my overlock by uh, by one red zone conversion by FAU where they had to kick a field goal instead of scoring a touchdown. Oh, no, Chip. Uh, you, so there are some wild stuff going on. Uh, FAU tried two two-point conversions with Willie Taggart's son. Mm-hmm. Did not go and, well. Uh, no. Mm. If they, kick, <laughs> if they kick, kick their points, Chip wins. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, it's all right. Hey, look, listen, I, I got my lock fight win. You know, we I got the Illinois first half. That's a lock agreement with Bud. Like it, get a couple W's up there on the board. I'll be good as long as we get a get New Mexico State to bring this thing on home. I like what Vandy's doing on offense right now. What is it? By we, the way, uh, it, it's uh, Mike Wright, be athletic. Yes. On this first drive, and he looks much faster than Hawaii's defense through mm-hmm. just a couple plays here. So this is encouraging. Especially hey, listen, the first half over we're longer time. and we're faster. All right? Yeah. We're all Mike about Wright team. definitely is, yeah. All about team speed. Uh, okay, 
other big news across college football that wasn't just the on-field action. We did have, as we mentioned earlier, some starting quarterback news. The first at Texas A&M, where it was announced that Haynes King will be the starting quarterback for the Aggies at the start of the season. He beat out Max Johnson, the LSU transfer. He beat out Connor Wegman, the uh, talented but still freshman quarterback in that room. Haynes King has previously in his career, when fully healthy, uh, been dubbed as somebody who was going to be able to lead Jimbo Fisher's offense. Uh, do we believe that he is ready to come in and take over? And what are the expectations with him uh, at this with him under center? I believe in him. Jimbo's picked this guy two years in a row, despite bringing in other other transfers, right? And last year, if you recall, they were trying to run a little tempo in the spring and. We weren't really sure if they were going to do so last year in the fall because the first game they played was Kent State, which I wasn't like, are they actually running tempo or are they just kind of caught up playing the Kent State game because Kent State plays a pretty blistering tempo. Then they get out there to Colorado. He gets hurt pretty early in that game, rehabs his way back. I, they brought in Max Johnson, and they you know, they have the freshman, but I this is the guy of healthy I thought was going to be the dude, and it seems like he's healthy, and Jimbo seems to like him, so – for them, it's really like, can you develop some receivers, right, and, and let those guys go make plays? I, I, I trust Jimbo to coach quarterbacks. He had Calzado looking good, and apparently Calzado's running third string right now at Auburn. So, to me, it's just receivers. Can you get guys and actually like let them go play in your offense? Here's your thousand-page playbook. Learn it. Yeah. Hey, at least it's not the freshman or the transfer who has to learn the thousand-page playbook. Haynes King got to spend all that time last season while he was getting healthy, learning the thousand-page playbook. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm with, but I think Haynes King's a good player, so I, I think it's a logical choice, and I think it's probably the best choice for the Aggies. But you know, we're going to need proof of concept still too. Um, and Texas A&M, by the way, can win seven or eight games without having anything close to a dynamic like wide receiver play. They can continue mm-hmm. to just be. Texas A&M, and because they are so loaded defensively, they're going to be very good running the ball. Um, you know, you can just go out there and execute. So, another offense, an offense that we expect to be one of the best in the country. We still don't know the quarterback, even though we got a starting quarterback announcement. Because the beginning of the official release from the University of Michigan football was, we have made a decision. And then in the two paragraphs that followed, they went on to explain that they have not made a decision, that the starting quarterback for the first game is going to be Cade McNamara, who was the starting quarterback last season, led Michigan to the first outright Big Ten championship since the early 2000s, led Michigan to the college football playoff. But then the starting quarterback for the second game is going to be J.J. McCarthy, who also played a little bit but was not the starter last year. So then after week two, Jim Harbaugh says – they will make a decision on who will be the starting quarterback. For game one, McCarthy will be the backup. For game two, McNamara will be the backup. Whew, what do we, what, like, I don't know, man. It seems it's almost as if the, the same kind of game, and I, I think I might have mentioned this here, and I apologize if so, but when Nick Saban, before he recruited Tua, before he had Bryce, when Nick Saban would be trotting out Blake Barnett, and Cooper Batman, and I know his name's Bateman, but like you know, like he would he would have like four quarterbacks listed as or going into that season opener. And sure enough, like 
he would play a lot of these quarterbacks through the first couple games of the season. The the traditional line was that before the SEC opener, they would finally land on one. This reminds me of that, to which I say, sure. I mean, Michigan's in a, a pretty good place right now. Both quarterbacks, I think, are good. But what do you make of uh, of the news here in terms of the way that Michigan's approaching it? Do you approve of Jim Harbaugh's uh, decision that was not a decision? Here's what's happening. Jim Harbaugh's sick of being asked about it. That's all that is happening. Like, Cade McNamara is going to start the first game. And then guess what? J.J. McCarthy is going to play in that game, too, just like they always do. And then J.J. McCarthy will take the first snap of the second game. And Cade McNamara will play in that game, too. And then at the end of it, both will have played well because they're playing against Colorado State and Hawaii. So neither will have separated themselves from the pack unless one of them just plays terribly and turns the ball over a bunch. And then you go into week three against UConn and one of them will start and both of them will play. And then you're going to go into Big Ten play against Maryland at home. And I'm guessing Cade McNamara will probably be the starter. But this is just Jim Harbaugh saying, stop asking me about it because they haven't decided yet. And he's going to use the entire non-conference schedule to figure it out. Chip, do you ever tell your kid because I said so? (laughs) No, I haven't. All right. So I, I... I've been using that some, and, and and my wife does not like when, when I I tell him to do something. He's like, "Why?" Like because I said so. It's not very nice. So I've come up with a new three prong approach. Right, three reasons why I'm going to tell you to do something: health and safety, moral character, or timeliness. Like if you don't do what I say, like get in the car, we're going to be right. late. Okay. So I asked Maggie, I was like, "Can you think of anything that I would tell him to do that would not fit in those three things?" And she's like, "I'm going to get back to you on that." So I think it may be working. This is Jim Harbaugh basically saying, because I said so, like, I want to do whatever I want. Let's go back to our locks pod episode, or not the locks pod, but the season preview episode, and pull up that Michigan schedule. We noted how they might have a couple things wrong with this team, but they had like a month and a half. I mean, they're, they're going to be trick-or-treating before they actually have to play a real game. Like Colorado State, Hawaii, UConn, I mean, they, they might start like, Harbaugh might come back and start a game or something for the, for the third he one. He would love to. Hosting Maryland, who they will beat because Maryland's defense is trash. Now, Maryland may score a little bit on them, but they'll, they'll beat them. Then they got to go to Iowa. If Iowa has an offense, that might be really tough. If they don't, it's just kind of tough. It, then they get Indiana. Like the, it's hard to see them being anything less than 5-1 and one through six games. And they have all the time in the world to figure this out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's going to be the same as last year. They're both oh. going to play. One other thing on this, I, I would say, what happens if you know if, if Cade gets hurt? You actually may want McCarthy with the experience of being the starter in practice, taking the starters reps, talking to the team pregame, like actually going through like like the starting thing. You know, it, it's almost like, like the concept of uh, I think I think I was listening to Cole Kubik on the radio. He talked about how with that 2013 team, even though nobody thought Auburn was going to win anything, they practiced how to celebrate when, when they won the national title, which they didn't win it, but they got pretty damn close. Maybe this is just to go through the motions and prepare for it type thing. I don't know. 35-24, North Carolina's lead has been cut to 11. Are they going to lose to FAMU? A FAMU without 25 players. Yeah. Including, including the, uh, the the FCS sack leader. Yeah. They, they almost – like there was a moment on Friday – I thought this game was potentially going to get canceled, but they still wanted to come. They only have seven offensive linemen 
But but again, back to my earlier point from the early takeaways. I haven't I haven't been able to watch since halftime. So only my first half thoughts was that this North Carolina defense that on paper should be much better appears to be getting pushed around and beat by a Florida AM offense that, like you just mentioned, is down significant personnel, uh, has significant personnel issues and is down to seven offensive linemen. No bueno. Well, based on the way you're talking about how North Carolina's defense is playing, it sounds like all seven are on the field at the same time. It's it's really tough when they're all, you know, when you're trying to get that pass rush against the seven offensive linemen. It's very, very difficult. Uh, Northwestern came out. That's one thing going way back to the beginning of the show. Like the funniest thing I saw today was Nebraska starting the season with like four receivers and Northwestern having three linebackers on the field. Like, what are you doing? They, they're just going to do it, man. That's what they do. <laughs> they want um, chastity belt on his playbook. That's a quality 32 yard punt for Hawaii. Hell yeah. Fandy's coming back on fourth Let's and go. one. Nice punt, Rainbow Warriors. 39 yard line. Let's go doors. Storming back, covering the spread. Three wins September. Three wins September. I know it starts tonight. And if you want to watch along, by the way, uh, CBS Sports Network is going to be the place to do it. It's Rich Waltz. It is Aaron Taylor. It is Sherry Burris on the call. Uh, A team for the mothership to be able to bring your week zero home. We appreciate all of you that watched us live. Remember to please subscribe to the Cover 3 podcast wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. We had a, a great audience on Facebook tonight. So why don't you... Come on over, youtube.com slash cover three. Those of you who are with us, uh, almost uh, all the familiar faces, uh, I know you you claim we don't read the chat. We, we look at each other, but we also recognize you as well. Uh, we appreciate y'all hanging out. And a reminder, the eBay auction to join a future Locks episode is live. The eBay auction for private Zoom calls with us to talk about pretty much whatever you want, I mean, college football or otherwise, Find links to all of that at our Twitter page at Cover3Podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at BloodElliott3. You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. 
There's joy in every journey. 